We're going to continue now the Gospel of Matthew, and I want to particularly look at, we don't have time, obviously, to survey the Gospel of Matthew. I put a little bit on the outline down below, um, uh, the, an outline of the Gospel of Matthew. I put the five sermons in bold, so you can see them there. That, that's not a big deal, not, not a whole lot of help, uh, uh, etc. Um, now, all right, letter E, going up to the top, Roman number one still up at the top. Letter E, Jesus proclaims the new law, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Number one below that, Matthew 5, 14, Jesus is bringing Israel back to be a light to the nations. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on that. Right, now, here's the thing, that's this. When the guy did the chapter breaks in our New Testament, in, in our Bible, right? I think it's five or 600 A.D., somewhere around there, some early Christian guy did that. He did a really, really good job. And he knew a lot of the stuff that, that we now know as discourse markers, right? Like you can see chapter 11, verse 1 is the beginning of a new chapter in the Gospel of Matthew because Matthew tends a sermon, right? But he didn't see all those discourse markers like that because Matthew 7, 28 should be 8, 1 if he's going to be consistent with that. Um, uh, nonetheless, right, well, here's what we want to know. Go to Matthew chapter 4. And let's look at verse 23. And this is probably going to be on your outline somewhere down. Yeah, it is. It's at the bottom of this page, at the bottom of page 1 on your notes, which says number 5. It says Matthew 4.23 and 9.35. Those are the two verses we're going to look at. Look at Matthew 4.23. I have it on the screen. It says, Jesus was going around throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Note there's really two things he's doing there. One is he's proclaiming the gospel, or teaching and proclaiming the gospel. And two is he's healing every kind of disease and sickness. Now skip to Matthew 9.35. And note it's almost absolutely identical. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Remember, for an oral culture, it doesn't have to be absolutely identical when it's that long. When, when is that? Because then I go, oh, wait a minute, no, he was going through Nazareth. They're not going to remember all that. But they're going to recognize Matthew 4.23 and 9.35 are a framing. It's called an inclusio. I didn't use that earlier, but Matthew chapter 121, he will be called Emmanuel, or 22, he'll be called Emmanuel, Matthew 28, uh, verse 20, um, Lo, I am with you always. It begins and ends with, I'll be with you, or God, God with us. That's called an inclusio. It's a bracket. It's a framing. It's the beginning and the end of a chapter, or the beginning and the end of a book. In this instance, it's the beginning and the end of a section. Now note, the guy who did the chapter breaks didn't catch this. Because Matthew 4.23 is in the middle of Matthew 4. It's not the beginning of Matthew 5. You should begin the next chapter right here. And note 9.35 is not even the end of the chapter. That's okay. There's a few verses after. That's not a big problem. Right. But here's the significance. We separate most often Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The sermon of the... I don't know about you. When I was a little kid and church got boring. Right. Sorry, all you pastors out there. Right? Uh, and one of the things I used to do is, it's kind of, hey, I wonder if I can find a page where every letter is read. Right? right? Oh. You ever do that? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did it. Uh, I sat in church and I'm like, oh, that one's like almost read. There's like one black line. He said that. You know, all right. All right. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you're pretty much going to find a, 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 a whole page. It's all red letters. Okay. Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2, he goes up on a mountainside. 
he, he t- has his disciples sit down and he began to teach them saying, verse 3, red letters. All red letters through chapter 5, all red letters, red letters through chapter 6, and all red letters until Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. It's the Sermon of Jesus on a mountainside. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. But we bracket that sermon off as though it's an entity unto its own. But Matthew is telling us with 4.23 and 9.35 that it doesn't begin and end there. Matthew 7 is not the end of the section. The section goes for two more chapters. Now note again the inclusio. He was teaching about the kingdom of God and healing every kind of disease. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the teaching about the kingdom of God. Matthew 8 and 9 is the healing of every kind of disease. Now we have this one large section. It's basically a digest of Jesus' ministry in totality. What was Jesus doing? Matthew 4.23 through 9.35. got an echo again, sorry. Uh, and that is, he was, he was teaching about the kingdom of God, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, healing every kind of disease, Matthew 8 and 9. Now, remember the story of the paralytic. He saw their faith and said, your sins are forgiven. And he heal, the healing is a sign that the kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God has come because those guys had faith, i.e. they're repenting, and the restoration is taking place. So we can't separate the teaching of the kingdom of God and the healing of every kind of disease. Another way of saying it is that Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like in word. Matthew 8 and 9, this is what it looks like in deed. If you're going to do what I tell you in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this is what it will look like, Matthew 8 and 9. Make sense? You can't separate the two. Even though they're not separated, yeah. they're, 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 uh, with, with Matthew's 8, there's bricks in it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. But there's sections within the section, within the larger section, right? There are subsections, etc. The Sermon of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 has, has sections within it. And, and yeah, there are sections, uh, subsections within eight, you know, stories. This is not making a big difference. No. It's, it's, with, with we put all those stories together, however, yeah. because they collectively tell us what the kingdom of God looks like as far as the healing of every kind of disease. Right. Now think about it. If he says he's healing every kind of disease, but he only tells you one story, we only know about him healing that one disease. We need, by definition, really multiple stories then, right? Most of the time we see this read, this is just one continual conversation. That Jesus is just oh, yeah, yeah, five, six, and seven? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Versus eight, which means that maybe, I guess they start raising their hands or whatever, and we start doing something, like cleansing the leper and all that in eight. Yeah, I have some, something in the notes I think that might speak to that a little bit more also, so let's wait, let's wait a little bit. But yeah, that's, fine. that's a fine way of looking at it for now. Let's see if I can, <coughs> we have time, we'll, we'll clarify some more. Is that, that good, Kevin? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Now, uh, now I also have, by the way, on um, uh, another website called DeterminedTruth.com. So DeterminedTruth.wordpress.com. DeterminedTruth.com. On that website, I also have some audio and some video but they're also on YouTube. The videos are on YouTube. I did a seminar on the Sermon on the Mount. 
And that seminar's on YouTube. So if you just type Rob Darrell in on YouTube, it should come up as me. I hope so. Um, uh, and you'll see, a, uh, I think it's a four-part seminar, like part one, two, three, four, five. Uh, and, and if you want to kind of sit with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, sit with it. All right, and so let me, I'm going to try to digest four hours of seminar in about ten minutes. So here we go. Right. The first thing is this. We've already set the context. He goes up on a mountainside, Matthew 5, verse 1, right? And so now we see him as the new Moses. Just like Moses, he had his disciples sit down. Right? Moses, and we'll see this in Mark. He has the, Moses has his followers reclining on the mountainside. And he began to teach them, blessed, 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 blessed. Right? So we see that's the new law. If you do this, you're blessed. I would actually say the better way of saying that is, this is what blessed people look like. In other words, it's not do this. It's just, this is who they are. They are poor in spirit. They are those who mourn and grieve. Note the sign of repentance for sin. Right? They are gentle. They are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are the merciful. They are pure in heart. They are the peacemakers. And they are those who have been persecuted for the sake of, of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now note this. Even the Beatitudes have an inclusio. An inclusive is a beginning and an end, right? A, a mark, markers. Note the very first beatitude, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. The last of what we might call the beatitudes is found in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It begins with the kingdom of heaven, and it ends with the kingdom of heaven. Now we want to include verse 11, in the Beatitudes, because it starts with blessed again, right? But it's actually marked off by Matthew from the Beatitudes, because he, he, he framed it with kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. So in other words, the Beatitude of verse 11 is actually building on the Beatitude of verse 10. When you're persecuted, it looks like this. They will insult you and persecute you and say, oh, see how that, it's not really a new Beatitude, is it, verse 11? It's an expansion of the previous one. So the first thing is, this is what the people of God look like. And as a result, they are the ones who are blessed. Note, by the way, it's highly insulting to the Pharisaical way of going about things. And an honor and shame way of going about things. Because in this cult, in, in Jesus' world, by the way, you're blessed if you mourn. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. Now Luke's going to say poor. But, but for Matthew, it's more all-encompassing. It, ex- it doesn't exclude being poor. <coughs> It includes more than that, right? It includes more than just poverty. Right? The poor in spirit are the ones who know and recognize their dependence and need for God. Not the Pharisees, I thank you, dear God, that I'm not like that guy. Right? The Pharisees, I don't need, I, I, I'm good. So that they're kind of being excluded by definition. Remember the woes of Matthew 23, which is the beginning and the end of, of Deuteronomy, right? The, the blessings and the curses. Woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you scribes. Woe to you hypocrites. Right? Um, so we can see how they're being excluded. So what Jesus is doing, and we'll see this as we go through all the Gospels, is he's saying the nature of the kingdom of God is that it's upside down. In the world's hierarchy, the wealthy and the powerful and the Gentiles and the, and the king, they, they rule over those in authority, but not so with you. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Right? John 13, I, I, I am your teacher and your Lord, but I'm wearing an apron, and I'm washing your feet right now. 
This is what servanthood or kingship looks like in my kingdom. It looks like being a servant. So it's the upside down nature of the kingdom is exemplified in the Beatitudes. The people in the kingdom, the ones who are blessed, they look this way. Now the end result of that is persecution. That's what the Beatitudes end with, blessed are those who are persecuted. We'll see this in the Gospel of John. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you also. A servant is not greater than his master. Right? So persecution is part and parcel, we'll see that in the book of Acts, obviously, and the rest of the New Testament, uh, and Revelation, <laughs> right? Uh, part and parcel of what it means to be the people of God. Now, Jesus goes on then to say, oh, by the way, I, I, I'm not coming here to replace the law, but to fulfill it. Okay? Now, um, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But the salt has become tasteless. How can it be made salty? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Now, we won't note it now, but when we get to John's gospel, note John's gonna, in John's gospel, Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. So remember when I said Jesus is Israel? That's the consummate, one of the, one of the key, I wouldn't say consummate, one of the key definitions of Israel. Isaiah 42.6 and 49.6. You are the light of the world. And Jesus says, that's me. But note in Matthew's gospel, he's saying, no, that's you. The mission of Israel is to be the light to the world, fulfilled by Jesus, and now commissioned to us. Would that be considered Jesus in us, then? Well, that, that, well it's, it's um, the missional side of it, no. But the relational side of it, yes. The question is, that, that, that Jesus in us. Yeah, because remember, the covenant is I will be among you. And we didn't look at this, but Leviticus 26, 11 through 13. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I'll dwell among you and I'll walk with you. All right, and of course, the prophets, which we'll probably look at as we move through John and things like that. Uh, Ezekiel's promise of I'll send my spirit and I'll give you a new spirit. And, and I'll take your heart of flesh and I'll give you a heart of stone. A heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'm going I'm to put my spirit within you. That side of it is, 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 is the empowerment to accomplish the mission and, and the key sign of the covenant. Well, I'm just talking about when you said Jesus in the New Testament well, because can be, can be, can't be considered Israel. Jesus is Israel. He's the true Adam. I'll say it this way, Kevin. He's the true Adam, the true human, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in doing so, fulfills the role of Abraham or the call of Abraham, the mission of Abraham. Right, namely is to be obedient and faithful to the law and thereby make God known. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just, okay. I'm just I'm, the, the word Israel is thrown out because Israel, like you said, was doing so much through the Old, through the Old Testament. That's right. Now we're saying that he's this person. Right, so, so think of it this way. The problem is the word Israel. Right, I, I think, yeah. and, and maybe, tell me if I'm wrong, I think you're using the word, you're thinking of Israel as the, the physical descendant of Abraham. I'm using the word Israel as the people chosen by God to fulfill his mission. And that was the physical descendants of Abraham, but they actually didn't do it. Mm -hmm. They disobeyed. Mm -hmm. So Israel, as I think you're using it, the physical descendants of Abraham, didn't accomplish the task. But Jesus, remember, descended from Abraham, that's Matthew 1, mm -hmm. is the one through whom the fulfillment happened. He did what Israel was called to do. He suffered for it. He died. He died. He, he atoned. And he made God known. That's John 1. He made God known. 
So in Jesus, the promises to Israel, i.e. the people of God, are fulfilled. So the people of God would be safer safer to use. It would be safer to use. It would be safer to use. It's just this language right now of, uh, I'm using Israel as, as, as the missional people of God. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a mission. I'm now, saying, I can't, this would be hard to sit in a church and say that they'll take this to a whole other. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 this is going to cause a lot. Yeah, this is going to take a long time now, right? You know, my way, we've already had four hours of class. Yeah. Yeah, right. and, and, we're kind of, and we're still getting there. That, that, that's right. So, okay, here we go. Now, what Jesus goes on to do then is he goes on to say, this is not a replacement of the law, not an annulling of the law, but a fulfilling of the law. Remember, the purpose of the law was to set apart a people for God who would thereby be blessed and thereby make God known to the nations. The Old Old Testament people of God didn't do it. Jesus does it. What we often do sometimes, I think what we often do is we look at the Old Testament law and say, oh, that doesn't apply any longer. Jesus kind of did away with that. I don't think Jesus is thinking that way. I didn't come to abolish the law. Verse 17. But to fulfill the law or the prophets. But to fulfill it. And what he goes on to do next is to say, well, you heard that the law said, but I say this. You heard that it said you shouldn't murder. But I say to you, you heard that it was said you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say to you, you heard that it was said you shall not make false. But I say to you, you heard that it was said you shall not, you shall love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your neighbor. And what Jesus does in each of the, you heard that it was said, and the but I say to you is he <coughs> intensifies the law. He not only doesn't get rid of it, he makes it more intense. For example, you heard that it was said, right, verse uh, 21, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, verse 22, everyone who is angry with his brother is guilty. You see, in the Old Testament world, you could be angry all you want. Just don't kill him. And we're all good. You can want to kill him. Just don't try it. And we're all good. In the New Testament law, you can't even be angry with them. And what you see Jesus doing is, remember Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Let me go back to it, because I'm not... Yeah, yeah. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. I'm going to change your heart. And the old, before, as long as you didn't kill him, it was okay. No, I'm going to change your heart so that now you're going to be characterized by loving the Lord your God and your neighbor, and you won't even have hatred in your heart any longer. Now, obviously, this is a process, isn't it, right? Because this isn't, this isn't a radical transformation, because we can all think of people that are hard to love, right? But as we rely and trust and grow and spend time with the Spirit of God, He begins to change us. Because of the sin nature, I guess. Yeah, that's right, right? Mm-hmm. So that even Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, And you, the church in Thessalonica, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Right? That's what God's people look like, is people who've had their hearts circumcised. And so now it's not just this external obedience, it's this internal transformation. Mm-hmm. 
So you heard that was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, you can't even lust after a woman in your heart. So, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm just thinking about the attitude as, as he's presenting this. Because I know that sometimes it could be presented so soft. You know, uh, yeah. To me, he comes with a sword. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I think that's, a, that's, yeah, I think that's fair. People make him like he's so calm and, Please do not commit adultery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do your best. <laughs> oh, but it, it was a whole other uh, attitude, I think. Not a, a simple attitude, but... I think there's an intensity to it. Mm-hmm. All right. And the intensity to it, though, is this. All right. I, I tell my church once in a while, I say, look, if, if you hear a sermon from me, and at the end of the day you walk away thinking that Pastor Rob just said, try harder, slap me on the face on the way out the door. Because the message of Jesus is not try harder. Because try harder, right, means try not to kill people, right? Just try not to. Just work at it. And just like, no, I'm here to transform you so that you won't even want to kill people because you're going to love them. See, murder's out. See, I'm going to. So, what, what it means then is rely upon me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have to grapple with that also, right? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast all your cares upon me. So as we rely upon Christ, you see, the difference is the Pharisees are going to try harder. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You, you, you travel land and sea to make a convert, and you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. Right? That's the, that's the, that's the intensity. Instead, it's rely upon me. Yeah, correct. One way I see this, it looks like they were getting too legalistic. Let me give an example. Okay. I may get someone come, comes into my office and says, okay, Curtis, we want to do this. How can we get away with it under the law? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so we look at it, and what can we do to not cross the line, but get as close as possible? Right. So when he's saying this, before the law said, okay, don't commit adultery. So like you said, they can say, hey, I can think about that woman, and I want to be with her, and I have my wife here, and I'm thinking I wish I was with her and everything else. However, um, I'm not crossing the line. Right. Okay, I'm not doing the murder. I want to beat him up. I want to do this that. But Jesus is taking it to the new level, saying it's, it's not legalistic. It, it's your heart. We've got to change everything, your whole thinking of mind. And I don't even want you thinking about the adultery. I don't even want you thinking about you dislike this person. Is that what was going on? Um, it's just a little too, they're trying to, hey, I'm still following within the law here. Okay, I, I my would... mindset isn't one of love. I would say no with a little bit of reservation. Part of it is because that thinking is going to get us in trouble when we get to Paul. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's not what what Paul's dealing with. But I don't think Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. I I think he's dealing with the Old Testament law as it is. With the New Testament law as it is. And the Old Testament law was simply, it was okay as long as you didn't commit the crime. But in the New Testament laws, no, I'm concerned about your character. So he's not dealing with people versus people. It's law versus law. Covenant versus covenant. The old covenant was okay as long as you didn't do it. It actually condoned lusting. It didn't condone it, but it, but it was okay. Uh, as long as that lust didn't give in to actual committing of the crime. So I don't think he's speaking at the Pharisee as much. But was that truly okay? At that time, before Jesus. Uh, no, because ultimately, let's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. The point of it was, as we go to Paul, what we're going to see, though, is, but you could never do the law because you have a heart of, of, of stone. 
And now I need to give you a heart of flesh so that I can transform you so that you can actually do it. And when you do it, this is what it looks like. And that's well. why trying so, yeah. harder. That's why I'm, I'm hesitating a little okay, bit. Maybe I didn't explain it right. Just no, no. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. Good then. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Larry. No, no. I was just saying that's why trying harder doesn't work. Right. That'll because actually, it's relying on the flesh. Yeah. And it'll actually push you away from right. the Lord. Because the more you try harder, the more you're saying, basically, I don't need you. I, I can do this myself eventually. Yeah, Bob, yeah, yeah. Bob George, you know Bob George, right? He's a radio commentator. He's been a radio for no, I don't think I do. 30, 40 years. Sorry about that. Anyway, he teaches, you know, if, if, if you're saved, then almost it's a license to sin. That, that's the danger, right? Yeah. That, that's the danger of the conversation we were having earlier. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, 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 and Paul says in the book of Galatians, you are free in the spirit of God, right? And don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. So that's what Paul, and we think of freedom to mean I'm free. But Paul goes on to say, no, you're free to love. You're not free to do anything you want. That's the flesh. And so it, it's you know, the fruits of the spirit and, and the sins of the flesh. Right? The flesh is what you, to do anything you want. The spirit is to love. It, the law of the New Testament is love. And this is what love looks like. So it's, it's this intense. All right, we got to stop here pretty soon because we want to get to the gospel market all. And, just, yeah, yeah, it, please. It, would, it, would it sound better if you use the terminology Jesus was changing the landscape yeah. of what, what was done before from the Old Testament to now what is going to happen? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was more like changing the landscape instead of looking at it. Uh, the new covenant changed the landscape. Exactly. Yeah, the new covenant is a new, uh, right? It's, a, it's, it's this a, upside down kingdom. Right. Upside, and, and, and we become the true humans that God intended us to be, which is to love the Lord our God, love our neighbor as ourselves, and we're transformed <laughs> from the inside out. Right? Uh, and, and, but I didn't mean to imply completely that, that there's no self effort at all. It's just not relying on self-effort. It's self-effort that's relying upon God's spirit and God's grace. Uh, awesome. All right. As we go through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, then what happens is, here's what the new people of God look like, right? Poor in spirit, merciful, mourning, etc. The result is they're persecuted. This is the fulfillment of the law because I'm transforming your hearts so that you'll be obedient to the law in this transformed, radical way. Matthew 6 then is, and be careful about doing your right righteousness before men to be seen by them. Right? Because that's what the hypocrites do. But when you give alms, when you pray, and when you fast, do it out of a desire to be obedient to the Lord and not to be seen by men. The difference between the two is, if you do it to be seen by men, you got your reward when they saw you. If you do it to be obedient to Christ, then your reward is in heaven. It is, is, is there by, by the Father. Matthew 6, I would say, by the way, one of the most significant passages in the New Testament, and you might catch me saying this like every week about a different passage, but that's all right. I'll do my best to not. To, to not. Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 through, I think it's 35, the end of the chapter, is probably the most, one of the most significant statements in the entire New Testament. It's the summation of it all. Uh, and that is, don't store up your righteousness on earth, and again, be careful about a Western way of thinking, earth, here, heaven, there. Heaven is where God dwells, and it's, where, it's God's kingdom. And remember, God's kingdom is invading the earth. Thy kingdom come on earth, which we just skipped over. As it is. So the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing is going to invade the earth, 
restore and resurrect in, in the new creation sense, right? The resurrection of Christ, uh, God's creation, is going to be the establishment of his kingdom, the destruction of the worldly kingdoms, and the things of the world. Lust, anger, power, etc. Right? All that's going to die, and Christ's kingdom is going to come in. And so set up your, your, your wealth in that eternal kingdom that God's establishing and not on earth. All right? And then it goes on to say, by the way, verse, and, and this is the harshness I think of, you can't serve two masters. Mm-hmm. It's the good tree, the bad tree, the wide path, the narrow path. It's, it's choose life. You can't serve two masters. And I think this is the great dilemma of the, of the New Testament. As we go further, what we'll see in the new covenant, what happens is we become new creations because the Spirit's in us, right? But I still have the flesh. And there's that waging of war between the old self that Paul says, you died to that. Sorry, can't live it anymore. You died to that. That's what baptism symbolizes and signifies. Live to the new life in Christ, which is the law of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, you know, right? The fruit of the Spirit or the law of love. And, and, and we struggle. But as we mature in Christ, what happens? This is easier and easier and easier. As we mature in Christ, we love the world less and less and less. It becomes despicable. It becomes... It becomes uh, I, I mourn even more over the sins of the world, which is a characteristic of the people of God in, in the New Testament. All right. Then, of course, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. Um... Verse 31, why do you worry, saying, what we shall we eat, what we shall we drink, what shall we clothe ourselves? And then Ralph, you, go ahead. Then you, you know, this, this, the despicableness this, this of it is not a uh, hard case. It's not uh, sarcastic. No. It's, it's grieving. grieving. It's, genu- it's genuinely grieving over, over, the, over the sins of the world. That, that's right. That's right. All right, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why do you worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay. Now Matthew 7, to kind of conclude the sermon then uh, briefly, uh, kind of is this, the summation of it all, and that is, hey, don't be judging. Okay. Look, at the spe- the, look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye. All right. And then he goes on to say, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. If you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, it will be open. Okay? Why? Because my Father is good and desires to give good, give good gifts to His children. When you, when you say in judging, condemn somebody to hell? Or, or? I think the context here is creating a standard of righteousness that someone must attain to to be determined as a member of God's kingdom. Right? Which the Pharisees were doing now, right? And I think now the Pharisees are entering into the story. And that is having a standard. And the answer is if you have a standard, then God's going to have a standard for you. And just like others won't measure up to your standard, you won't measure up to God's standard either. So that can almost mean don't nobody need to do anything here, right? No, I think the, the, the context <coughs> is, um, let's put it this way. It does not mean don't judge at all. Yeah, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, expel the wicked brother from among you. Right? We have to, as pastors, we have to judge for, for church discipline. And even within the congregation, they might judge the pastor. There's, there's a sense where judgment is appropriate. This is the judgment of setting up standards of who's in, who's out. By, by, I guess I'd say by worldly measures, instead of a standard of by saying, 
uh, uh, faith is a, is, is a trust and obedience in Christ alone. Yes. And righteous judgment, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I I'm think just using that for it. Yeah, yeah, okay. In Deuteronomy, it talks about having uh, equal scales. Yeah, yeah. But, well, and Luke also. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so the only way that you can have equal scales when you do business with people or when you're, uh, for the word judging, I like to use discerning. Uh, because you do have to discern certain things, people, places, and things. But we should just make sure that the, the word is the, is the measurement. Is the standard? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I, I. This just came to my mind. Maybe this is a better way of clarifying it, and that's this: in the ancient world, uh, if we can if we understand the context of what's going on, the honor and shame culture. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the Pharisaical world, they decided you're out because you're a tax collector. You're out because you're a prostitute. You're out because you're a gentile. Right. And just saying, don't judge by these worldly standards as to who's worthy and who's not worthy of the kingdom. And that's going to be really important as we proceed because what we're going to find out is the kingdom's going to go to the Gentiles too. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <coughs> okay. Does that help for now? Yeah. I was just, uh, just uh, people just use the word jid. That, that's right. They take this as an absolute statement yeah. and then deny the fact that, well, throughout the New Testament, there's this there's, there's appropriateness of judgment. Of judgment mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and discretion that's supposed to be used at all times uh, as well.